Hello, Marquette basketball fans. Welcome to another edition of the Golden Break. I'm your host, Adam Woke, still coming down from that live show last week. Thank you so much to Travis and Tyler for joining us. If you didn't listen, please go back and do so. There was some real in-depth basketball talk. I think it is a must for any Marquette fan. And speaking of musts, today we are joined by the one, the only, John Fanta. And today, interviewing him is my twin brother, Andy. He's taken the show over. We're always so lucky to have John here on the show. Let's take it over to him. We are joined by the one, the only, John Fanta. John, thank you so much for your time. And I just wanted to say, I, I know I speak for Marquette Nation when I say we feel so lucky to have you uh, working in the Big East. Uh, you don't just bring us uh, talking points and headlines. You really bring all of us content. I think that makes us more informed. So I first off want to say thank you for the great work you do. Well, thank you, Andy. I appreciate you having me. It's great to be on your show again. And Marquette Nation, I I really, I, I have a lot of respect for the fan base because I think that they're a passionate group of people who really know their basketball. And I know the Golden Eagles, as the calendar has flipped to March, I know they're in a bit of a rut right now. But when you think about this team, I, I still think that they have a lot of potential. I, I really do. And, and I think that they could put put some things together here. They need to win over St. John's on Saturday. There's no question that that is a must-win game for this team because you want to find a rhythm here ahead of the Big East tournament. I couldn't agree more. And I, I even posted that last night on Twitter. I'm not worried yet, but I will be worried if that St. John games doesn't go well, just because of the, the pace and tempo the Johnnies play with, it needs, we need to make sure it doesn't take us out of what we do. Yeah, that, that's exactly it. You have to be able to dictate the game. And I think right now, Marquette has gotten a, a little bit away from their identity. And their identity is packaging stops together and letting those stops then feed into what they do on the offensive end of the floor. So they've got to get back to who they are defensively. Giving up 91 points to DePaul simply isn't good enough. And Javon Freeman Liberty has had a great year when he's been healthy, but still that, that doesn't make it good enough. So I, I think that Marquette has to do some, some self-reflecting because if you're giving up 91 to DePaul, that's more of a you problem. You know, that that's a situation where, where you have to look at yourself in the mirror and say, all right, what, what have we gotten away from? So the Golden Eagles need to, to get themselves going on that end of the floor. It's been their calling card all year, and, and they need that to return for themselves to, to get into a rhythm, and they need Justin Lewis to be the alpha. Let's hope they can turn it around against the Johnnies. But let's take a little run around the league here, John. And I want to start with the Friars. Listen, I know you've seen it on Twitter. I know you've seen the analytics, the arguments that the Friars are lucky. I don't need to go through all the data points that Twitter likes to throw out there. Are they wrong? They are. Because at the end of the day, Providence has played 28 games. And they've won 24 of them. Put some respect on a team's name when they've done that. They compete in the power conference. They compete in the league 
that could end up sending seven teams to the NCAA tournament. And you're telling me that a 14 and three conference record and a 24 and four overall record is a fraud. That's absolutely ridiculous. And I think it's narrative based. And I think when you look at this team, the metrics don't like them. Well, Look, the metrics don't end up deciding who wins and who loses. That doesn't mean we can't use metrics to talk about a team. But you know what, Andy? Here's what I find ironic. In a loss to Villanova, Providence went up seven spots in Kempom. Wouldn't you rather win the game? Wouldn't you rather win the game? That, that's my point on, on Kempom, and I think Ken does a great job. But what I don't like is when a team loses and they go up. Like, I, when they go up more than they've gone up when they win. That, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So I, I look at this team, and I think that they are a really good basketball team. They're 10-1 and one in games decided by five points or less. They defend you for 40 minutes. The sum is greater than the parts. People look at Providence, and they say they don't have a superstar player. Well, Jared Bynum's played like a star at times. Al Durham's played like a star at times. The backcourt has definitely... Uh, risen their game as the season's gone on. Nate Watson's the rock, and he plays like a star at times. Providence is a complete team. They complement each other well. They they play hard. Ed Cooley teams are always going to be tough. They have that. This team is dangerous, and their top seven players have an average age of 23 years old. That should win in March. The Friars are, in fact, for real. They're much more for real than they are a fake. Let's go to Xavier. They've lost, I think, seven out of eight now. In their last five games, they're shooting 28% from the arc, while opponents are shooting 41%. They're giving up 81 points over the last five. They got swept by the Johnnies. It's kind of gotten ugly over there with the fans, too, as well with Travis Steele. Um, And really, the defense has been an issue, and and he said it in a quote uh, just this week, we have to win with our defense, and we haven't been doing that the last few games. Changing defenses, playing 2-3 zone, picking up full court, it's just a mask. You know, from what I've watched of Steele, there's been some questionable defensive strategies that I think, at least in the games that I've watched, the way he's defending screen and rolls. Um, is, is it steel you think is the one that's making the mistakes that's making this team go South? What are you seeing about Xavier? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that Travis Steele is the person that, that needs to take the blame here. At the end of the day, this is now three straight years that Xavier has really, really faltered late in the season. They have not been able to find a rhythm. They're not defending. How does a team this talented lose seven out of eight games? So, of course, it's going to fall squarely on the head coach of the team. They're not playing good defense. They're not playing collective basketball. They really don't have a rhythm on the offensive end of the floor, and their perimeter shooting has gone by the wayside. So this falls on the head coach. And Travis Steele said that he thought he had a group as talented as any team in the Big East. Well, if you have a group as talented as any in the Big East, you cannot be under 500 in this conference. To lose seven of eight games, That is not Xavier basketball. This fan base has high standards. You can't miss four straight NCAA tournaments. And that's what's being threatened here now. So I understand what Musketeer fans are upset with because they should be. They have a higher standard level and Xavier should be better than this. The fact is they have been a a major disappointment. They might be the most disappointing team in college basketball over the last month. 
Villanova, I'm not really overly impressed with the way this team plays this year. I feel like they're a bit one-dimensional. This is a team that I think really can get pushed out of their comfort zone when they play against teams with pace. They only average four points a game in fast breaks. They average 28 two-point attempts, which is the sixth percentile in college basketball, and they really don't even get to the line a lot. Am I underrating this Villanova squad this year? you're underrating them because I still think that they could very well win the Big East tournament. In fact, if I had to make a pick, I'm going to pick Villanova to win the Big East tournament next week at Madison Square Garden. I know that that's chalky and I know that that's expected, but the fact is that's how good they are. Here's the thing, though. Where you're right, Andy, is that this team is limited on offense at times. They do not get to the free throw line, like you said. They don't have a ton of scoring threats, and they really have little depth. And if they catch the wrong team on their team, I mean, it defends you really well. I mean, a team that can find a way to turn you over. Villanova doesn't turn the ball over. That's the good. But if they do, they can't make up for it. They don't have the explosiveness factor that you look for in a Final Four team. I think they're a team more than capable of getting to the second weekend. But if they... They face a team that plays high tempo. If you look at Villanova, they're one of the slowest playing teams in college basketball, tempo-wise. I mean, they, they have been beyond the top 300, and there's 358 teams in adjusted tempo. So they're a slow-moving team. They like to wear you down. That didn't work in Waco against Baylor. Eventually, that didn't work against UCLA, and it didn't work against Purdue either because Purdue's just so explosive offensively. So, look, this isn't one of Jay Wright's best teams. It's still a really, really good basketball team that I think could be Big East tournament champions and could be a, a Sweet 16, maybe an Elite 8 team if they catch the right draw. But because they're limited on the offensive end of the floor, it could be really difficult for them to get to New Orleans. To me, John, I actually think the most impressive team in the Big East is UConn. I think a team that defends and rebounds the way they do makes them really dangerous because it really, those two categories can help you overcome a bad shooting night. If I was a betting man, I would put my money on UConn to making the furthest run in the dance. Do you think I'm throwing my money away? Hmm. I'm still putting it on Villanova until they, they prove otherwise, because when I've doubted them, I paid for it. <laughs> and I, I, I just, I'm not going to do that. The one problem with Connecticut is they go into scoring lapses. And at some point, you got to score. Like, look, Villanova might, might not be explosive, Andy, but Villanova still is an efficient team. And UConn's efficiency on the offense end of the floor, while their metrics look good, last night, as we do this interview on Thursday morning, um, the morning after the UConn-Creighton game that Creighton wins, like, look, let's, let's face it. This was a game that UConn could have won and probably should have won, and they couldn't score late in the game, and that's not good enough. They could not score a bucket late in the game. So for Connecticut, they have got to be better offensively. Adama Sanogo is required to do a lot. He can't be the only answer for this team. Team. And R.J. Cole's big time. I mean, I think R.J. Cole's playing like an all-Big East first-team player. 
but he's got to get some assistance in that backcourt. You know, Tyrese Martin can't be wishy-washy. Jordan Hawkins has to be able to make perimeter shots for them. And Tyler Polly has to provide a contribution. He's in his fifth year. He was big time against Villanova. He's come up big in other spots, but you got to be able to package it all together. He was great against Xavier a little over uh, a week ago. Look, this is a Connecticut team that is terrific defensively. They're going to be in basically any game they play. But at some point, you're going to have to score the ball. Because when you're playing a good team for the second time in three nights or the fourth time in a week, when the NCAA tournament brings all those games and you got to find a way to advance, can you get into a bucket-for-bucket type of battle with the team? And that's my concern with Connecticut because at times the ways they score the basketball are limited. I like this team. I don't know if I love this team. There are moments where I love them. And that's where, Andy, I like the fact you're putting your money on them. I don't think you're throwing your money away. I think it's a smart wager if you think that they go the the furthest because they could on their best day. But the thing is, Andy, on their worst day, you know, they've gotten swept by Creighton and they've lost to Seton Hall, who's a good team, but but they still have lost that game. They nearly lost to St. John's. They found a way to, to hang on, but but that's the thing is there's there's going to be challenges in the NCAA tournament. And if you can't produce offense on a consistent basis, that's where I get concerned. So I think they're a good basketball team. I think they could be a second weekend team, but we got to see what their draw ends up being. Let's talk about Creighton. You know, across the country, you know, the pick and roll game is extremely highly used. And when you look at Creighton, who's sixth in the country at defending the ball screen. It makes them a scary matchup for a lot of teams. However, the loss of Ryan Nemhard is gigantic. Do you think they have enough to overcome that injury? And if so, who's the guy that has, who's the guy next in line that really needs to step up in his place? Well, do I think they have enough to overcome the injury? I'll never doubt Greg McDermott, but I would be very surprised if this team's making the Big East tournament semifinals and making the NCAA tournament second round. If they do, that is amazing because you have a freshman point guard who's basically played the whole season and played a lot of minutes. Now go out. You have a freshman playing that many minutes because you don't have another option at the point. So who's the next guy? It's Trey Alexander, a fellow freshman, who's played a lot of minutes but has not played the point guard position and now is playing out of position for Creighton but just having to get tasked with it. Creighton is the only team in college basketball that has had three freshmen play over 24 minutes per game. That is amazing when you consider the Big East has 30 super seniors, 30. And if Creighton beats Seton Hall on Saturday in Omaha, something that could totally happen, Creighton will be the number three seed in the Big East tournament. If Ed Cooley weren't the Big East and National Coach of the Year, Greg McDermott would be because he's dealt with injuries. He's dealt with one of the youngest teams in the sport, and it has not mattered. They need Trey Alexander to step up. They need Rati Andronikashvili to continue to step up. I thought he was very good late in the game against Connecticut. He's a, a redshirt freshman, had a knee injury last year that sidelined him. He's an interesting player who plays pretty scrappy defense. They need him to keep stepping up. But look, make no mistake about it. Creighton is not going to blow you away with their offense. This is not the same Creighton offensive juggernaut. But, man, do they defend. 
It is Greg McDermott's best defensive team in his time in Omaha. And I really got to tip my cap to Mac because I did not think this basketball team would be all that good. And they have been terrific this season. It is one of the best coaching jobs in the country. The fact that Creighton, who was picked preseason eight in the Big East, could make the NCAA tournament, losing their starting point guard late in the year. Think about, Andy, the fact that R.J. Cole is on the other side of that point guard matchup and Creighton beats UConn, completing a season sweep of them. Creighton owns a 20-point win over Villanova. They swept UConn. They swept Marquette. That is really, really something. What the Blue Jays have done is shocking to me because I didn't think a team this young could win in this conference this year. And you got to credit Ryan Hawkins. He has been a godsend. Division II transfer, three-time national champion in D2, and you can sense that he's a champion. Sometimes when you win, you'll win anywhere. And he won in Division II, and now he's winning in Division I. Seton Hall is not having the year, I think, that they necessarily hope for. They haven't been horrible. Um, but last time you were on this pod, you said this might be Willard's uh, most talented team he's had during his tenure. I know you've seen a lot of their games. Um, have you seen Seton Hall at their peak? And does peak Seton Hall, is that team good enough to win the Big East tourney and make a move come March Madness? Well, they are. They're good enough at their peak. The problem is they hit their peak early with Bryce Aiken on the court, and Bryce Aiken is basically out for the year after dealing with the concussion at the end of the Marquette game. That, that elbow he took, he gets called for the foul. Game ends, Marquette wins. And that was the, that was the elbow heard around the world for Seton Hall fans because Aiken hasn't played since that, that moment. Here's the thing, though. This team has very quietly gone 7-2 and two over their last nine games. They've won four in a row. They have played better basketball. They are restricted offensively as well because without Aiken, they have trouble scoring the basketball at times. But Kadari Richmond, the sophomore point guard, the Syracuse transfer, has gotten going. He had 12 points, 10 assists, and a win over Georgetown on Wednesday night. And I thought he managed the game really well. He, he managed the second half at Xavier over the weekend really well. Look, they've had some close scares. Again, another team that I think could be in an 8-9 game, tough, tough team for the 9 or the 8 that has to face them. Then you're getting matched up against a 1. You're not beating a 1. You know, I think Seton Hall's a team that could be the, the two-and-done team in the NCAA tournament where they get one, they get to the second round, and they bow out. Um, but I don't think that's a failure of a season. A lot of people did not know what to expect from this team. You know, they were picked sixth in the Big East and, uh, uh, excuse me, fifth in the Big East. They were picked five. Look, if you're picked five in this league, you're probably, if you win a tournament game in this league, that's a, that's a good enough season. It's not a failure. It's not the best season ever. But they, Seton Hall was projected to be kind of a, an okay team. They did. They shot out of their shoes early in the season when they beat Michigan on the road. Now, Michigan didn't turn out to be as good as we thought they'd be. They beat Rutgers, who's red hot right now, and they beat uh, Texas, who's kind of been underwhelming when you think about their preseason expectations to now. But can the Pirates win the Big East tournament? Sure. I think they're one of five teams that could come away with a Big East tournament championship next week at the Garden. And the reason why I think Seton Hall could is because they seem to play their best basketball at the Garden. They have a terrific record there since 2014. They're like 10 games over 500 at the Garden 
in the last seven, eight years. And Roden, Jared Roden and Miles Kale are experienced. They're big game players. And Seton Hall protects the rim with Ike Obiagu. So would it surprise me to see them in a Big East final? Not at all. Butler, DePaul, St. John's. Who do you think is the best dark horse among those three teams to win the Big East tourney? Well, here's the thing. I don't think that any of them can win it, but if I had to pick one of these teams at the moment, I'm going to pick DePaul. They've won three straight games. Javon Freeman Liberty in the last two games has totaled 65 points. He's been phenomenal. And I know they're in the back end, but man, if they get St. John's in that first round game, they already beat St. John's. They seem to match up well with them. I think it's a tough matchup for the Red Storm. And, and I think DePaul could advance. And I'm not, I just can't see DePaul beating Villanova. But I'll tell you what, DePaul will give them a game. A lot of people will not think that, but I do. I, I think DePaul's just playing really hard. And I like what I'm seeing from Tony Stubblefield's group. I think they have been the team out of the three you just listed. To me, Butler can't score the ball. They cannot score the ball, as you saw last weekend when Butler was at Marquette. And to me, St. John's is the team. Like, prove it to me. Prove it to me. Every time I say that you could do something, you let me down. Because this is a team that's just flat out inconsistent. You know, Tariq Coburn goes for 20 points in a win over Xavier. Where's that been all season? You know, Montez Mathis, one game to another, you don't know what to expect. Their supporting cast, they have actually been harmed by the portal. They brought in guys that they thought could mesh. It just hasn't worked. And so when you don't know what you're getting from a game-by-game basis, it's hard to say St. John's. I say to Paul because I know they're going to fight. They're going to fight every game. And if things break the right way, you never know what could happen. Could I see... DePaul being in a second-round game and being in it with Villanova. I actually think so. I think a lot of people would say, how could you possibly say something like that? But, man, Freeman Liberty would be a star on any Big East team. And they have pretty good length. And I just like how hard they play. So I'm going to give DePaul some love on this answer, Andy, because I can't trust the other two teams listed. I think St. John's has been the most underwhelming team in the Big East. Do they have the talent level to make a Big East tournament run? They should. Yes. But can you trust them? And the answer to that question is, is no. Georgetown, when I had you on last time and we talked about it, you said, you know, at the end of the day, Hewing's going to be able to kind of write his own ticket. And as we saw yesterday, right, um, you know, yep. Georgetown continued to, to back Hewing. But I understand, you know, someone like Patrick Hewing was probably – one of the greatest players in Georgetown history. Um, I understand the gravitas he has at that college, but doesn't those, I mean, even those guys, shouldn't they have a shelf life? Because as someone who loves the big East, I want to see the big East great top from bottom. It's good for everybody. And them being winless in the big East is not good for the big East. I, I just feel like, you know, I, as much as you want to give this guy as much leash as you can because of his status in the college, I just feel like you might be doing more damage to a team if they continue to spiral like this 
rather than the damage that might happen if you get rid of one of the greatest alumni in your program's history. Yeah, and that's why I think there's going to be some reevaluating done. Look, Patrick Dewing expressed his desire to be back. Georgetown had to issue something. They're certainly not going to, they're certainly not going to stay silent or, or just not issue something because he is one of the greats of all time. The fact is it hasn't worked out from a coaching perspective with the exception of one week at the Garden. And, and look, he's still, he has something that only three other Big East coaches have in the league, a Big East championship trophy. And I know that, that that Georgetown fans will roll their eyes there, but but that's that's the saving grace here. That's the only that's the one thing you can point to. But here's the thing. I think that what's going to happen is this. Patrick Ewing is going to be asked to make changes. The question becomes, will he be willing to sit his assistants down in a room and say, Hey, I have to go in a different direction. This is what we have to do. Will he be willing to do that? That is the question at hand. Because, Andy, if he's willing to do that, I think they're going to give him another chance to renovate his staff, give him an opportunity to get this right. I'm not saying that, that that's necessarily the best option, but I can understand why that would be an option. And, Andy, contrary to many belief, I think Patrick Ewing can coach. But you got to be able to have the right staff to, to both get players and keep players. The coaching staff, these kids, when they're recruited, they're recruited by the assistants. You know, they, they, go, to, they go to School X because they have a really close bond with a Kamani Young at UConn. Or a, let me, let me think about this, you know, a, 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 a Dwayne Woodard at Seton Hall. You know, they don't necessarily have the, the personal relationship at, as with a head coach. And so I think for Georgetown, they have got to renovate their staff and they've got to be able to, to rebuild some things within the program and keep players. They haven't been able to retain players. You know, the best teams in the Big East have four or five year players. Georgetown has not had that. So that's the biggest thing here. Again, Patrick Ewing's not going to get fired by Georgetown University. It's just not going to happen. John, let me get you out of here on one last question. I want to pull back and look at the NCAA in general. And I want to ask about the NIL. Uh, you know, the people who listen to this pod heard me rant about the NCAA coming out and saying that they're going to investigate some of the what they think could be nefarious play going on with the NIL. And my problem with that is that, you know, the NCAA lets so much other stuff slide and these kids finally get their hand in the cookie jar and the NCAA is here to threaten to slap them. I want to ask you two questions out of that one. How have you think how have you thought the NIL has gone so far this season? And two, do you think it's enough? Because to me, I think really at the end of the day, this is such a small, small, small slice of the pie compared to the money and the TV deals that everyone else is making. I think that NIL has gone well this year and that the NCAA should stay away from making any changes to it. You have to think about these things. And I was thinking about this. There was a story about Oscar Shibwe and his mom and the fact that off his NIL deals, his mom was able to come to America. Like that's bigger than basketball. 
Why would we prohibit a student athlete from doing these things or attempting to do these things? They're allowed to benefit off their name, image, and likeness and should be allowed. There should not be too many guardrails for this. This is a good thing for college athletics. When the NCAA makes statements like that and says, we're going to take more control, why are you taking more control of something that's going pretty well? Like, I think, Adam, one of the things that I look at with this this year is there haven't been a lot of protocols because there's not a lot of known with this space. You don't know a lot about it to begin with. So it's an experiment in a way. Has there been any harm to this experiment? No, it's only benefited kids and their families in their attempt to make a dream come true. So I don't think any changes should be made to this. I think it's gone very well. From what I understand, there's been in-syncness between student athlete, their athletic department and the NCAA, the governing body of everything. I, I think that everything has gone okay with this this year. And if there are changes made, my question is why? Why are there changes being made to something? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. It took this long to make it happen. Now it's happening. Let's continue to monitor how this goes, what the climate is, how this works. Because here's the thing, and this is another big thing in my mind, Adam. To a degree, NIL has already been happening for a long time. It's just been happening behind closed doors. And so the more guardrails you put up, the more can of worms you're opening. So to me, continue to monitor, but don't make sweeping changes to something that you just put into action. There's no need to do it. NIL is a success. It's a good thing for the NCAA to back. The student athlete comes first in NIL, and that should be the case in college athletics. The student athletes need to come first. And trying to alter that, or trying to put guardrails up for something that benefits both them and their families, to me, would be wrong. John, do you think NIL is enough? Do you think players should get paid? Should they have their hands in these TV contracts and all the other advertisements no. and things? I don't think players should have a hand in that. Uh, I, I don't. The player is already getting a free room. They're getting free food and drink. They're getting an unlimited amount of resources. They get an education paid for. And if they're smart with it, they'll have a job after their playing days are over. They get an overwhelming, they get six, when their career is over, they've had seven figures worth of assets and resources from private planes to food and drink to, to board and, and to all that. But can they benefit off of themselves? No question about it. And they should be allowed to do so. John, you're an absolute giant in the industry. I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for joining us. I know you got a big grind ahead of you with the Big East tournament and the dance. Make sure you get some sleep, man. Thank you, Adam. I appreciate you. It's always good to be on the Gold Break, and this is the one-stop shop for college hoops fans. Love talking with you. Thanks, John. You have a good one. You too. God damn it, we are lucky to have that man on this show. Um, what a fantastic interview going here into the Big East. Uh, man, it's going to be a fun time here. We are going to end the season uh, after the Big East tourney. Uh, Dr. Keegan is going to join me, and we're going to do final report cards for this season. We're going to break down the entire thing. Um, and then we're going to see how the tournament goes. If we win a couple of games, there might be some surprise pods. But at the very least, um, we are going to do one final show at the end of the entire season. 
uh, and we hope to see if we can get a special guest to join us for that. But thank you so much for listening. Uh, we are so lucky to bring this to the greatest fans in college basketball. We out.